and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a webinar that you did, Greg, called the Using the Voice of the Customer to Change Your Organization's Culture. Yeah, I was really, really keen to do this one because I think it's a whole area where people talk about the voice of the customer, but really underutilize it and perhaps just for clarity the webinar and when I was sort of talking about the voice of the customer I was meaning the physical voice of the customer not a voice of the customer program or a customer satisfaction you know research yeah and I was uh, really pleased when you made that point on the webinar because in some ways it's just a sort of silly semantic uh, misunderstanding really your voice of the customer do you mean the customer's voice or do you mean uh, metaphorically the customer's voice but so often, voice of customer programs actually kind of distance the customer from the organization because they reduce them all to a score and a, an NPS number or whatever. And yeah, so you, I, I think I keep jumping in. I can see you trying to say something. I keep preventing you. But, all right. But, um, but yeah, I think talking about the literal voice of the customer just emphasizes the point that there's a real human being with real emotions that will come through in their voice. And that's powerful and something you can use. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to take the webinar using, you know, we talk a lot about winning hearts and minds. How do you get people to change in your organization? And there is all those numbers, metrics, all that sort of stuff. But I wanted to do something that got into changing people through hearing literally hearing the customer's voice and the emotion that that can bring to it hmm. uh, and trying to utilize that as perhaps the qualitative end bit of, of, of driving cultural change. Uh, and, and like you said, I, I felt even when I started it off, I thought I better just make the distinction here because I'm sure some people have signed up to the webinar thinking this is about a research program. And it's, it wasn't. It was about really using that customer voice. Yeah, I think that, that phrase hearts and minds is, is crucial, isn't it? And you, you did talk about that quite a bit on the webinar. And you, you know, talked about one of the things I liked, you, you talked about the sort of foundations that you need in place to sort of be able to start pushing through some of that, that culture change stuff, one of which is having the business case. So I, I think that's, that's very much the kind of the head bit of hearts and minds, isn't it? You know, can we, can we prove that investing in the customer experience is going to be worthwhile? Um, so I might like to, to talk about that in a moment, yeah. but I think that you know the hearts bit is very very important as well because I wouldn't say it's my favourite thing. So one of the the times that I know I'm getting traction is when you play a customer comment or a video or even just sort of read out a comment, and you know you'll get a load of senior managers or perhaps the board of a business squirming in their seats while they have to listen to this customer <laughs> describe the terrible experience they've had. That kind of shame that people are feeling in the room is a really powerful emotion you can use to say, let's not do that again. Yeah, well, it is all about emotions, whether it's shame or delight to <laughs> actually hear it and the tone of voice rather than reading it as a written uh, as, as a written word. It's just so much more powerful. I think I mentioned it in the webinar, but the sort of foundation of what I was trying to recreate in the webinar was a moment from well over a decade ago, doing some focus groups um, in Leeds with um, a research team that were sat beside the mirrors and a really senior director turned up from that organization to sit behind the mirrors. And we had 10 or 12 customers in the, you know, in 
the you know the room facilitated the focus group they were observing and all, all that sort of stuff and a customer said something really really simple uh, and I think it was to do with the way they were kept updated and the process for updating them. And, and after the focus group, you know, I went to see um, the people behind the mirror and the senior director couldn't stop enthusing about, we need to do that. We should do that. That's such an obvious thing to do. It'll make such a difference. And at the same time that he was absolutely enthusing about it, I could see the research team with their eyes looking up to the roof, thinking, we've mentioned to this to you before, it's been in reports. And it, it made the point to me about getting traction within the organisation. I'm sure it was in the reports, I'm sure he's read it, but he, it, it, the, the message was transmitted to him, but it, it needed that emotion of a real person to make it land with him it's it is partly hearing it firsthand and i think it's partly the context so you understand not just that it matters to customers but why it matters to customers or the difference it makes to them and i think that's again often something that gets kind of stripped away by a more quantitative research process so for example when you don't turn up on time to do some work at a customer's house we all know that's a bad thing Right, and it's obvious it's a bad thing, yeah. and we shouldn't do it, and dot dot dot. But when you realise, talking to a customer, that why it matters to them, you know, they've they've made plans, they've uh, taken a day off work, you know, the, all of these consequences and the impact on their life. Once you know a bit more context, make you understand why it matters, not just what matters, but why it matters. And I think that's that extra layer of richness is often what persuades people and sort of acts as a it builds that empathy. Yeah, if I was in that customer's shoes, that actually, it's not just a minor annoyance. That's really irritating, and I hate you now. Yeah, and that's how I'd feel. I'd feel like that customer felt, and they're very rash, rational. And you don't quite, well, you just don't get there with reading comments or verbatims. And I think both ends of, of, of the scale, Stephen. You, you know, when someone says, "I don't trust your organisation." You know, you read that comment and you can slightly shrug your shoulders and dismiss it. When you hear someone say, I don't trust your organization, that stings a bit more. That's, that, that sort of starts, get because it's, you realize it's a real person saying it. And I think the same the other way. I managed to get on a, um, a, 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 a stage where a client was doing a great sort of, um, they were feeding back to an enormous amount of their staff about the difference that, that they had genuinely made to a customer's life. And it was a heartwarming, emotional story it absolutely was and, and come the end you, you know there's just a standing ovation and it was through hearing firsthand from the customer the difference this person had made to their life or the consequences of it and in the nicest possible sense this employee was really just doing the job but the way they did it, it wasn't above and beyond wonderful. It, it, it had lots of nice little bits about it. But it, it, that, that itself was really powerful. And, and you've, you've just got to think every employee in that room wants to replicate that. Every person in that room wants to replicate that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think when we talk about culture change, and you mentioned this in the webinar, what we're really talking about is changing behaviours. And the question then is, well, how do you go about doing that? Do you put a poster up on the wall that says, do this behavior? Well, yeah, but 
it, does that really change the way we behave day to day? No, it, it doesn't really. To, to really change behavior, you've got to touch people's emotions and you've got and you've got to make them feel that sense of empathy. Why does this behavior matter? Why does it matter so much to customers? And I think the only way to do that is to showcase, as we've done, uh, as you've described there, the sort of the good and the bad. So when we don't do this, this is the impact. And when we do do this, this is the impact. And I think that's a great message. You're basically, doing your job can make a massive difference to customers and can make them really happy and, and or save their lives, depending you know what it is your job entails. That's a massively important message. Well, you just think about some of the stuff you presented um, in the early days of COVID, you know, and how customers were thankful that people were still answering telephones, that the bins were still being emptied, that people, you know, were there. I think that's a really good example of, of just what you're saying. What did you think of the Nissan Red Customer Chair? <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I really like that. I think it's it's one of those things where it's sort of a bit naff, but symbols can be quite important and and they serve as a kind of reminder of a of a of a bigger thing so yeah. does having a, a red chair in the meeting room make any difference of course it doesn't but if it just serves as a reminder that the reason we're doing this whatever it is is to create good experiences for our customers and it just serves a bit of a sense check all these decisions are they are we making them for the right reasons yeah, I mean, you know, I love cheese. Anything cheesy is great. But I could see that as quite an enabler where a discussion's going on. And if someone's not quite feeling it's going the right way, it's probably quite a non-threatening way to say, I wonder what the person who sat in that red chair would think about what, what, you're, what, what you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, ah, that's quite good. Or, or even you could see ending meetings with the, okay, we've decided this. What does the red person who's sat in the red chair think? It, it's, it is a nice check as well as lots of cheesy symbolism. It is. And I think, you know, in a similar way, I've heard of uh, organizations where it's someone's job in a meeting to, to be the customer's representative. Um, so that, that can work quite well. If you're doing things like we've talked about on the podcast before, like a service blueprint workshop, it's yeah. quite helpful to have someone with a sort of customer hat on who's saying, hang on a minute, from the research, we know that that isn't what customers think is happening or not what they see or not what they care about or, or what have you. Yeah. You're just sort of fighting the customer's corner. What's your thought about actually having the customer in person in the business, bringing them into the organization in certainly certain situations? Broadly, it, it can only be a good thing. And I, I think... I think the, the important thing is to use it for a reason. So it, it shouldn't just be a gimmick. And one thing that I sort of like <laughs> is, you know, when you mentioned getting people on stage at a conference, sort of, that can be really good. I think sometimes there's a bit of a danger of cherry picking the sort of super articulate, um, out of the ordinary customer. And I think sometimes yeah. what I would suggest for for a lot of businesses is just just spend more time talking to customers we're sometimes we're sometimes worried about about bothering them you know um making too many demands on their time and and i think you you know we've said before you can't over communicate i think similarly you can't spend too much time chatting to customers as long as you're doing it genuinely to stand and make things better for them not selling at them and not not pretending you want to understand them in order to sell at them this is a slight tangent, but there's a bit of a gray area there. So there's, there's the idea of 
what's called selling under the guise of research or sogging, as you yeah. sort of industry jargon, which is literally, oh, would you mind doing my customer survey? And then halfway through, you realize that the customer survey is actually selling you double glazing. That's illegal. Um, so you, you absolutely, well, is it illegal? It's certainly banned by the MRS, so we, we yeah. can't do it. And not that we'd want to. But then there is a kind of area where, well, maybe just asking customers questions about what they want or what sort of solution they're looking for. You know, is that research or is it selling? So maybe a bit of a gray area. What I'm talking about is is whiter than that. It's like literally just trying to understand customers. What are their yeah. lives like? How do they work? And da, da, da. Yeah. And I think like any good research, I completely agree in, in terms of talking customers, but with any good sort of qual research, I think having the scope, knowing what you're talking about, you know, making sure you don't cherry pick someone who's happens to be, you know, who's going to say something in a certain way. But I, I think literally just getting them there and, and having it narrow enough so they're not going to go off and talk about things that um, that might be interesting but aren't, aren't relevant. But I think just the, and how did this make you feel? What did you think? And getting them to articulate their feelings perhaps rather than the process they went through. Um, I think it's just really, really sort of powerful, um, powerful stuff. Did you like the kidney bean story, by the way? <laughs> I did like the kidney bean story. <laughs> um, and I think the, the reason I like it is, is that often one of the things you're fighting against in our job, in our world, I suppose, is this idea of, but I'm doing my job. And I think what the kidney beans story shows is that doing your job isn't actually about doing your job it's about meeting customers needs and that in that is sort of includes doing your job but often involves going in some respects above and beyond what that job appears to be so you know if you're uh, stacking shelves then there is more to stacking shelves than stacking shelves uh, it includes helping customers find stuff but also you know, to, to sort of go through the, the whole sort of sequence you went through a bit, but a bit quicker, uh, helping them, you know, maybe to achieve some greater goal, like cook a chili, or maybe think about um, how sort of what that means to them. You know, so there's, there's almost in a Maslow's hierarchy way. There's yeah. like, if you're going to buy a tin of kidney beans, why are you buying a tin of kidney, tin of kidney beans? So, yes, it's to make a chili, that's your sort of end goal. But then, why are you making a chili? Is it something to do with your your role, the role you're playing as a parent, you know, to cook yeah. a nutritious meal for your family. So, so there's that higher level of self-expression and importance and meaning, all of which is somewhere there in the kidney beans if you choose to dig into it. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things I wanted to get out, the, the message again, perhaps coming from the same position as you as some of the challenges that we are uh, the, the, that we come across in the job we're doing. One being, well, it's really expensive to do make customers happy because you have to do really odd, unique things that are just not what we do as normal. And hopefully that story sort of says, well, no, you just have to see the world through their eyes. And if you see it through their eyes, you'll behave in a different way. And I think the other bit that perhaps I didn't emphasize enough with reflection is what would the owner of the supermarket really want that person to do? And the sad bit of that story, I think, is that somewhere between the owner having the vision <laughs> of this is what I want to create, if it gets dumbed down to that one-star review, it's been lost, that vision, that dream, and someone is just 
that's my job. I'm, and there's some way thinking that's what my boss is thinking and someone's thinking that's what my boss wants me to do, boss wants me to do. And it isn't. It obviously isn't. And hopefully the story brought that out. There's a really good book by George Orwell, Down and Out in Paris and London. And in, in that, at one point, he's working as a waiter in a, in a restaurant in Paris. And he talks about this concept called le boulot, which is a French word. It kind of means the job, but it, but it means it in a really kind of, well, as Orwell explains, he means it in this really sort of specific way, that it's doing the minimum you can get away with is le boulot. So you're doing a job, but you're, you're not even really doing a job. You're, you're doing what you can get away with doing while not getting fired. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what your one star is. And it's kind of... Not doing anything wrong. <laughs> Well, Comma, not, not sackably wrong. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. It's like, it is not even quite the job. It's a, just enough less than the job that you can get away with it. And I think if you believe that your people are doing that, then I think you've got a real, real problem. Um, I think that is, we talk about employee engagement and how it, it filters through to customer experience. And people often think of engagement as being synonymous with satisfaction. I don't think it is. It's... And Lubulo is the opposite of engagement. It is. Yeah. Um, I might be quite happy. You know, I'm s- sitting here, you know, treading water, not working very hard and earning a, you know, just about earning a living. I'm not especially happy. I'm not especially unhappy, but I'm really, really unengaged and I'm absolutely not contributing to the customer experience because I'm doing the bare minimum. That is where culture change comes in. Absolutely, frankly, sometimes that's about getting rid of those people because they're just not the kind of people it's possible to make engaged. Sometimes they're fundamentally good people who have been broken by the culture that they're kind of immersed in. And there is something you can do about that. And I think that's, that's really where culture change um, has to aim. Uh, I completely agree with all, all that. A couple of, of sort of things that I thought, and I've thought about this, and, and you'll think the same, I'm sure, in terms of a number of the webinars you do, is how cross-related all the webinars uh, you know, are. And, and, and there isn't that single magic bullet. It's, it's a lot of the one percenters. It's the summer marginal gains and, 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 and things like that. And I do also sometimes think, that perhaps we should do some longer webinars just to try and sort of particularly some of the to, to give some practical examples a bit more because obviously we have to sort of establish credibility and that can take up some time one of the stories that i didn't tell which which i thought would be quite interesting in terms of customer feedback and behaviors and i'm pretty sure this was a harvard example where basically two people had become bartenders in America and they were told to behave in different ways. Well, but only one difference that in a busy bar, um, one person just served drinks, next person served the drink, next person served the drink. The second person served drinks, but they were told to acknowledge people that were waiting with like a nod or a, I'll be with you next, you're next. Yeah. Be with you soon, madam, sir. You know, just to do something that says I've seen you. And I know you stood there. And then they compared tips at the end of the night. <laughs> and yep, one had a load of tips and the other had very few tips. Drinks weren't served any faster, anything yeah. like that. You know, all the metrics were exactly the same, except one provided a better customer experience by smiling, nodding, and acknowledging that someone was queuing than the other one. That's just the perfect illustration, isn't it, of the job is not the job it's not pouring drinks, drinks and yeah. taking money it's make, creating a good experience 
which means understanding your customers' emotions and catering for their need to know that they're going to be served in their fair order. And yeah. all it takes is a little flash of the eyebrows to go, yeah, I've seen you and I, yeah. in my head, have the order right. And the weird thing is, even if they get the order wrong, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> it's no. about how the customer feels. You don't necessarily go just to drink. You go in for a good time. Yeah. Why is the customer there? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, there are cheaper ways to get drunk than going to a bar. <laughs> well, on that um, insight into Stephen's life, we Definitely. should probably pull yeah. this, one, this <laughs> webinar to a conclusion. <laughs> um, so you can go and do whatever you want to. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm off for a drink. Um, if you're using <laughs> iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFresearch.com. Bye, everyone.